What's up, sons and daughters? This is Sam Jesse, and I'm back for championship week with some of the crew members from the Locks of Saturday, Chris and Robert. Guys, here it is. Championship week, 10 games. We usually give you a five-game slate. Not this week. We are giving you all 10 conference championship games. Fellas, how are we feeling? Merry early Christmas to all of you listeners out there. You get double the games this week. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. I like to think that we're... This is my Hail Mary week. So being that I'm battling out with Ed for the bottom of everything right now, 10 games, everything could change. This is what they built Las Vegas upon was the the hope that you can just turn your entire weekend around in one fell swoop. So this is what I'm going for this week. Your your flight leaves Sunday morning and this is your chance. Uh, But hey, we do have these 10 games. We have... Um, some bowl games and the college football playoff, of course. We also have the over-under win totals from the beginning of the year. So a lot of time for this to flip around. Um, yours truly is still in first place after another eh, mediocre week. I went two and three. I'm sitting at 34 and 26 on the year. Robert, you're right behind me. Uh, excuse me, you're actually in third place now. And second place is Brett, who is 33 and 27. Robert, you're in third place now at 32 and 28. Mike is at an even 30 and 30. Chris, 26 and 34. But again, a lot of time left. And Ed, 25 and 35. So we are going to cover all 10 conference championship games. We are going to go in chronological order, which starts us off with the conference USA championship game between the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, who are two-point favorites on the road against the darling UTSA Roadrunners. This, to me, was a very surprising line. UTSA, their perfect season was ruined last week against North Texas in a rainy, sloppy game. UTSA didn't show up. And Western Kentucky has just been an offensive juggernaut with Bailey Zappi, a quarterback. This game will be on CBS Sports Network at 7 o'clock. On Friday night, the over-under is a 71.5 and an interesting quirk about this game being played in the Alamo Dome, home of the Roadrunners. Robert, we'll start with you, Hilltoppers, Roadrunners. Yeah, this line is kind of crazy because I I just see it as a pretty huge overreaction um, to last week for UTSA. I know that North Texas kind of really put the beat down on them, but... I mean, this is this is still the best team in the Conference USA. I mean, they, they won 11 games for a reason. Um, and for this line to move from uh, Western Kentucky minus one to Western Kentucky now minus two, like they're getting an extra point or they're giving up an extra point. I don't, I just don't get that. I just see that as an overreaction. I think that this North Texas game last week uh, was kind of just like a perfect storm um, for UTSA just working against them where... You know, they fell behind early. They were down 17 to three at the end of the first quarter. North Texas just jumped on them early. They weren't able to get the ball to Sincere McCormick because they were playing from behind. You know, it was pouring rain. Uh, Their quarterback just wasn't, he couldn't hold on to the ball. He fumbled the ball twice in the first half. Like, I, I just think that with the weather and just that early deficit, it was just kind of just, it just wasn't their day. Um, but I still believe that they are the better team and they beat Western Kentucky earlier in the year. Um, so I think that they turn it around here and, uh, yeah, me, me, I'll, I'll put in the sound effect 
uh, for this one, for sure. It's a fun one. Chris, who do you got in this one conference USA title game? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to pivot away from Robbie uh, here. And uh, mostly because he just did that, that roadrunner impersonation. I, I can't support, I can't support that at all whatsoever, but um, for me, this is just a game that's, you mentioned it before um, they had, and this is UTSA had beaten Western Kentucky earlier on the season. The score of the game was 52 to 46. It was a high scoring affair. This is very much a game that's decided upon who is probably going to have the ball last or who's just going to have the most amount of possessions and opportunities. For me, that's a team like Western Kentucky who after a very slow start, because if you look at some of the games that they had to play at the very beginning of the season, they played San Antonio right after they played Michigan state, just the ultimate kind of recovery, trying to get into your conference slate. And then all of a sudden, you know, the first game that you get in your conference slate ends up being the 11 one kind of pseudo conference favorite for the whole part of the season. Um, so I, I do think that Western Kentucky does have a lot of the momentum. And for me, even though this is being played in the Alamo Dome, which is amazing. All, all kind of Texas small schools and everything. Everyone should just play in the Alamo Dome. It, it, it should just be the, the dome for all non-like Texas or maybe like Texas A&M type games. In fact, they should play in there as well. It's amazing. It's the Hinkle Fieldhouse of college football. It is. It, it's yep. 100% one of the best venues in Texas college football. Um but I think that plays into the hands of Western Kentucky, who's a super fast type offense. They're playing in controlled conditions on the turf indoors. And so when it's something of a two point spread, and to me, this is something where it's, you know, you're not necessarily picking a cover, you're picking a winner. Um, I'm going to go with the better, higher scoring offense that has all the momentum here. So give me the Hilltoppers plus it's just more fun to root for big red, the Kentucky Hilltopper mascot. He's kind of like a large red bloated grimace. And I just, I, I really, really can get behind that. So uh, give me the Hilltoppers. Give me, excuse me, laying the points and uh, definitely rolling with Western Kentucky. This, You know, I think this is a really tough game. And I think it's because you're looking at that line. You're saying, what does Vegas know? Who's out for UTSA? What's happening in this game? Because mano y mano, I think UTSA has been the better football team this year. I agree with you on the Western Kentucky offense. I think it'll be tough for UTSA to stop them, although UTSA has done a, a decently good job against passing offenses. Western Kentucky defensively has been kind of surprising towards the end of this year, and I think that's what has carried a lot of their momentum. They're number 16 in EPA defense in the nation this season. Compare that with number 65 for San Antonio. And I think one of the stories of this game, if you're looking for a game within the game, it's on first and second down when Western Kentucky has the ball. Uh, UTSA has struggled on early downs defensively, but they've made up for it in the pass rush on third down. I think that'll be a key to this game. I think this is just such a more athletic, better football team than Western Kentucky has played. I mean, we're looking at their games. Yes, they've played well. Uh, they've beaten Florida Atlantic, Rice, Middle Tennessee, Charlotte, Florida International, ODU. Um, those were the games before they went to Huntington, West Virginia, and shellacked Marshall to make it to this conference championship game. I think their their offensive numbers have been a bit, a bit inflated because they're just playing terrible, terrible competition. 
UTSA is as well, but I like their style of play a little bit more. Give me the road runners in this one at home. I like it. I like that matchup. All righty, let's move on to a game with a little bit more national prominence. The Pac-12 will not have a team in the college football playoff, which is really a shocker to no one, but that doesn't mean that this is not an important game and another important rematch. This game being held in Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, Oregon is plus two and a half against the Utah Utes. This game, eight o'clock on Friday night on ABC, the over-under is 59 and a half. We all know what happened the first time these two teams played in Salt Lake City. Utah wiped the floor with them. It was duck hunting season in Utah, and it was an ugly, ugly game for the Ducks. Robert, my question to you. First, who covers the spread and why? And second, how much stock are you putting into previous matchups? not only for this game, but for the other games we're going to cover tonight, because I think that's a really interesting point of conversation for a conference championship games. Oh yeah, that's a great question. Um, honestly, I think that as far as putting stock into previous matchups, I think this is kind of the one where you really, really have to put stock into it because it's not like Utah want a squeaker. Um, it's not like you can say, oh, they were playing at home. Like they, you know, that gave them an extra touchdown, whatever. They won by 31 points. I mean, they they dominated Oregon on both sides of the ball. Um, and ultimately, I think that's why they're going to cover the spread. And the win might not be quite as comfortable as it was last time. But I just think Utah at this moment is the better football team. Um, Oregon has been limping through their entire season, basically, aside from that Ohio State win. Um a lot of close matchups with some not good teams. They had another one last week where they just let Oregon State score too many points. I don't trust this Oregon defense at all. Um, I know I've been high on them all year, but I've finally come to terms with the fact that maybe they were just a middling top 20 team at best that got really lucky in the horseshoe one day. Um, and I think that Utah is red hot, and I think that they're just going to keep that going. I'm actually in agreement with Irby here, uh, mostly because he didn't do any mascot impressions. So I, I, I don't know what a Ute sounds like, but my guess is, is, is Irby will probably start Googling that now and try to come up with some sort of impression. But um, it, this is something to where Oregon right now under Mario Cristobal, what are they? To me, they are probably one of the more overrated type programs right now based off of his reputation, but reputation really to me is kind of based off of what really um, he, he has a, a kind of aura around him to where he's very difficult. His coordinators don't necessarily want to stick around them. I just don't think he has a good ability to create an organizational culture and I think if he wasn't, I'm sorry, Sam, you want to look like you want to pop in there. Uh, no, the kids are calling that vibes. Vibes. Yeah. His so, vibes. Okay. Yeah. Vibes. That, that's the vibes. I, I, I'm not down with, with, with the kind of lingo right here now. So if you feel, feel free you're to make it. You're in. making a great point. His vibes have not been. No. I, Oregon-esque. Yeah. Chris, Chris, give him a vibe check. Give him a vibe, <laughs> a vibe check. check. <laughs> so I just feel like he's, he's kind of backed himself into a position to where he has talent, but not necessarily the ability to close in kind of these big game type moments um, just because of kind of who he is as a head coach. He's, he's had some big games, but 
I just don't think he's capable of doing kind of the sustained uh, winning model. And also, I think he probably got put on notice to speak with USC hiring Lincoln Riley. So the pressure is probably on, but it, it just doesn't feel like Oregon is a very dominant football program that we have been promised that they were going to become under Mario Cristobal with this quote unquote kind of big boy recruiting and all some of the kind of profile kind of athletes that they've gotten there because they haven't delivered on it. And this is going into what I think the end of year four under him. So um, I know what I'm getting with Kyle Whittingham coach team. Um, I'm probably getting a team that people thought Oregon was going to be like. Um, and I thought that was on display when they played not only like about another, was it a weekend ago? Um, so give me in a game like this where Oregon is still, it, it's a two and a half point spread. So this isn't a game to where the public perception uh, based off of that Utah blowout a couple of weeks ago is really factoring in as much as I thought it would be. I thought this would actually be Utah favored by a little bit more. The fact that it's within a field goal to me shows that even the public still believes that Oregon's just going to pull out because they're Oregon. And apparently there's some sort of uh, juggernaut in comparison to Utah, but I just don't think that's the case. I, I think Utah wins this game comfortably one more time. So, Yeah. And I'm going to throw this out here real quick. I, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, it's Utah far and away. It's Utah. And I'm locking Utah in this week. I like it. I'm on, I'm on Utah. Is that a mortal lock? No, I don't, I don't do mortal locks. Anymore. Mortal Those locks usually anymore. don't work out for me. <laughs> Those days are behind Robert. You know, I think this is a really interesting game because look, who's the better coach in this game, Kyle Whittingham or Mario Cristobal? Kyle Whittingham for Utah, I think is one of the best pure football coaches in the game we have right now. Better quarterback. Cameron Rising of Utah is better than Anthony Brown of Oregon. Better team up front in the front seven. Over the past few weeks, Utah, and they dominated Oregon. I There's not a lot pointing to Oregon in this game, which is surprising. But if we look at the history of the Pac-12 title game, they've played it since 2011. Only once since 2011 has a team from the, Southern, from the South Division won the title game. That was USC in 2017. Oregon's won the past two, and when they played Utah in a similar situation where it was number 13, Oregon, number five, Utah, in 2019, Utah was the favorite. People were thinking Utah, this was their chance to get back to the national stage. Smoked them. 37-15, Oregon wins that one. I Oregon's been in this position before, and they tend to show up in big games on neutral sites, whereas Utah, Utah hasn't. They've you know, lost their last two Pac-12 title games. Uh, you're really rooting for something to happen that has not happened for Utah so far. However, I do think the Utes are just so much of a more complete football team. And there was just something about the way that they beat Oregon in Salt Lake City that I, maybe it's just a really bad matchup for Oregon. Uh, I'm Without knowing the teams too intimately, it seems like the X's and O's just point to Utah. I think an interesting game, a game within the game, is going to be on third and fourth down. Oregon has been decent defensively, pretty mediocre, but they've really struggled on third and fourth down. They're number 113 on third and fourth down defense this year. Utah, on the other hand, has been one of the best third down third and fourth down offenses in the country. They're number two in third and fourth down offense. I don't know if Oregon will be able to get off the field defensively. And I think Utah controls the pace of play in this game. I like the Utes minus two and a half. 
just want to throw one last thing in there. And I do think that this is a factor. I forgot to bring it up in my segment, but Moorhead is getting leaked to being interested in other positions. And I feel like that does factor into your preparation uh, during the course of the actual game week. He's a professional and I don't doubt that he's going to be invested into the football game, but that has to be some semblance of a criteria as far as how well Oregon is going to be prepared for this game. When the, 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 the major person that people lean on for this Oregon team is they go, we'll look at that Moorhead type offense under, under Anthony Brown. And that might not necessarily be a thing that even exists after this weekend. So um, well, if your guy's leaving to go to Akron, I mean, I would, much rather be the offensive coordinator at Oregon than I would the head coach at Akron. So maybe that kind of tells you about what the, what the vibes are in those really fancy Nike sponsored waterfall facilities that they have at Oregon. Um, you know, maybe they they just haven't had that extra spunk. No. Yeah. And I feel like the, the coaching carousel will probably play a role in a lot of these games that we're going to talk about. Well, I don't think it'll play too much of a role in this next game because I think these two coaches are pretty set in stone. Our next game, we are going back to the Lone Star State for the Big 12 title game. The Baylor Bears are five-and-a-half-point underdogs to the Oklahoma State Cowboys. I I do have to point this out. Oklahoma State minus four-and-a-half was a bad beat last week. They were up four, could have kicked the extra point to go up five. They didn't. They went for two and missed it. They won by four. That was a heartbreaker. But guys, a nooner on ABC in AT&T Stadium in Dallas, the over-under for a Big 12 title game is 46 and a half. Robert, we'll start with you. 46 and a half. Let's just touch on that. That is astronomically low. Something about this tells me to hammer the over just out of principle. I understand your principle, but I disagree with it. I I really like the under here. I think that um, Oklahoma State's defense has been, you know, given all sorts of praise and deservedly so. But also Baylor's offense has been kind of iffy, we'll say, uh, especially for, for Big 12 standards. They haven't scored more than 30 points since October 30th when they scored 31 against Texas. So they... They've been winning games, uh, but they kind of just been making it ugly. You know, like you're like you've got a 27-24 score with Texas Tech, 20 to 10. They beat Kansas State. They're just kind of just barely scooting along. So as I look at that, it, it makes me want to pick Oklahoma State, especially with all the playoff implications that are sitting here. But I think that as we look at these conference championships, particularly, you know, the three big ones with playoff implications are the Big 12, the SEC, and the Big 10. It almost seems like these are almost too obvious, right? Like, I mean, the momentum is swinging pretty heavily on Georgia, Michigan, Oklahoma State, and we'll get to those later two games. But knowing college football, there's just always one of these games isn't going to go the way we think. And I think it's this one. I think Baylor covers the spread, and I think that they win outright. I think they pull off the upset. Um, we talked about earlier matchups, you know, that Baylor Oklahoma state game was, uh, you know, fairly close, uh, Oklahoma state won by 10 
at home. So I think that that's enough to where I could feel confident with Baylor in a revenge game. So I think that they cover the spread here. They ruin Oklahoma State's playoff hopes. And we're going to have a really, really interesting discussion. Uh, Not just the three of us, but just the college football world about who gets that fourth spot. Yeah, this is the one where five and a half point spread. Um, It's in that Vegas zone. I hate these point spreads uh, because I I never really get to look at it through the lens of, you know, where the value is because it's in that no man's land of where the value is not. Um, And then you look at each program, you try to kind of break them down and there's really not a whole lot to really know. Uh, I think I know more about Oklahoma State at this point, so I can at least make an honest assessment. Um, But you know, we're only at the end of year two with Dave Miranda. I don't really know what his program identity is actually going to be long-term, kind of what he's trying to build there. It does seem he's actually trying to build something there because I do think they're trying to work out an extension. I don't know if one has actually ever been officially announced yet, but he kind of pulled his name out of the hat for a lot of the coaching carousel rumors. So he was one that was kind of the hot uh, commodity item Um probably at the very beginning of the coaching carousel for a lot of the big ticket jobs. So obviously that probably leads people's perception to think that Baylor, you know, has probably a pretty good chance of not only covering the spread in this game, but possibly winning outright. But um, for me, I'm trying to go with what is the known commodity. So five and a half, what the value is there. Um, I don't think that Baylor has the ability to score enough in this game, given that all of their best offensive performances have come against pretty lackluster defenses throughout the course of the year. And I do know that Oklahoma State gives me a really, really good defense. And it feels still so weird to say that because for so long they've heard the run and gun, just kind of shootout type offense. And this is like what I think like what year four or something of them changing their defensive identity and it's it's really still kind of really hard for me to kind of get a pulse for Oklahoma State. Sam, you see if you want to say something? No, they're clearly the number two defense in the country. Um, yeah. They are. I'll just run over while you're talking about the defense. I'll run over some of their advanced stats. They're number four EPA per pass, number one EPA per rush, number one echo rate, number three field position, number two early downs defense, and number one third and fourth down defense. They have the number one defensive success rate in the country. Um, They are in uh, their number three in um, net points per drive defensively. I mean, in every single category, they are phenomenal. And that is just after they played Oklahoma. So I, I agree with you. I don't think Baylor has, Baylor doesn't have enough. I can't believe I'm saying this either. I don't think Baylor has enough offensively in this game. I'm in that same realm of thinking. And uh, for me, ultimately, it just came down to a known commodity. What am I getting uh, with that five points or five and a half points? And at this point, making me willing to lay the points and take Oklahoma State, which is what I'm going to do in this game. Um, It just comes down to what is going to show up in this football game? I do think that the defense is going to show up. And I do think that's Oklahoma State. Plus, you get to further invest in the complete meltdown in the state of Oklahoma because wouldn't it just be perfect that in a moment when Lincoln Riley leaves the kind of quote-unquote flagship program of that entire state to go out west, 
And the same year, Oklahoma State rises up, beats them, probably drives the decision because of Oklahoma is in this game with a chance at the college football playoff. I think we're having a much different conversation. Um, and then they ultimately might get a shot at going in the college football playoff. It would just be perfect. I'll reference the Simpsons meme where the little kid says, stop, stop, he's already dead. I talk about, look, a program like Oklahoma State where they have a history of winning. They have a history of winning at a high level, but with that comes, they don't have a lot in the trophy case. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, when was the last time Oklahoma State won a Big 12? They haven't won a championship game in the Big 12. I know that. So, I mean, you're it was whatever at, year Brandon Whedon was the quarterback. Uh, so, so 2011, 2012. Oh, 2011, like 2012 ish. They yeah. haven't won a championship game. The right. championship game has been played from 96 to 2010 and then took a break. And then 2017 to 2021, this is also the first um, championship game in that format that doesn't have Oklahoma in it since 2001. Can you guess who won it in 2001 and what the matchup was? In the Big 12? In the Big 12 title game in 2001, top 10 teams. Wasn't that Nebraska versus Colorado? Ooh, you're so close. It was Colorado versus Texas. Number nine, Colorado oh. won that game 39-37. Oh, how times change. Uh, I am on the Cowboys here. I love their style of play. They are really physical. And we talked about how Utah matched up really well with Oregon, how they just kind of beat them at the point of attack every single play. Oklahoma State does the same thing. They beat Baylor by causing a lot of negative and I guess you could call them useless plays, right? A lot of incomplete passes. Uh, Jerry Bohannon was 13 of 27. Um, for all of you non-math-inclined people, that is below 50%. Baylor had 10 drives with five or less plays in that game. That is a team that can't do anything offensively. Oklahoma State in that game had 10 tackles for loss. You're dealing with an Oklahoma State defense that not only is good in all those advanced metrics, they also lead the nation in sacks this year. They create a lot of negative plays. They make it really tough on quarterbacks to complete at a high percentage. I love the Pokes in this one. I also am not sold on Baylor in a neutral or road game. Baylor 7-0 at home this year, but they are 3-2 and on the road. Those three wins come against Texas State, Kansas, and Kansas State, so... Uh, not a lot there on the road for the Baylor Bears. I like Oklahoma State in this one, and I hope to God they do not make the college football playoff. Let me just say that. Well, I guess, I guess Michigan could Wait, lose. Why, to why Iowa. do you? Why do you hope that? Just well, because then uh, the Cincinnati Bearcats, who I have at plus twenty seven hundred to make the college football playoff, would not be in it. But I guess. We'll That's get fair. to the Iowa Michigan game, but we 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 know that there's gonna be some fallout here. But let's be real. Even if they did win this game, do you think that the college football playoff would vote Oklahoma State in? This is a whole different type of conversation, but I have a hard time believing that they would even add them in there, given some of the fallout too. And this is also one that kind of factors into the long-term viability of the Big 12, because guess what? With Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12, you're going to have a lot of Baylor versus Oklahoma states probably in the long-term future. And they need to get comfortable with that kind of who is the better. I guess granted because Cincinnati is joining as well. 
Um, so maybe Cincinnati will be the future <laughs> Big 12 champion. We never know. I, I mean, if you're thinking about that really quickly, um, you can't tell me that Stillwater, Oklahoma is a bit of better, a bigger market than Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, Cincinnati is a pretty massive uh, p- public school as well. So alumni base, probably the same. Don't tell me that people in Oklahoma care more about football than people in Southern Ohio. So outside of the conference that Cincinnati is in for the last year this year, I don't see a reason why the college football playoff committee would choose a one loss Oklahoma state or an undefeated Cincinnati. But that's a, that's a, that's a podcast for another day or uh, we'll, we'll get to, I yeah, guess we got, a, I, we got a lot of games to keep getting through. We got a lot of games to get again to. We'll be quick on this one, but it is a beautiful matchup. The Mac championship game. This one is between Kent state, the golden flashes. They are three point favorites against Northern Illinois. This game will be at noon on ESPN on Saturday. The over under is a whopping 73 and a half points. This game will be played in the beautiful city of Detroit, Michigan at Ford field. Um, I'll go quick on this one. Story of the game is two really good offenses, two really bad defenses. Kent State has the number five EPA offense and the number 123 EPA defense. Northern Illinois has the number 15 EPA offense and the number 118 EPA defense. I think this game is in the 80s easily. Think about it. You're inside on the turf, plays faster, no wind. I like that. Who do I like in this game? It's the defense that I think can have the good performance. I'm playing the odds here. And the defense that I think can hold the other team to a modest score would be Illinois, uh, Northern Illinois. They have held teams. They have held six teams to below 30 points. Georgia Tech, EMU, Toledo, Bowling Green, Ball State, and Buffalo have all scored uh, 29 or below. I like Northern Illinois because I have a little bit more faith in their defense to show up. And I also like Rocky Lombardi. He's, he seems like a guy, he seems like a championship quarterback for me, but Dustin Crumb pretty good too. Yeah. So with, with, uh, I guess the logic, as I think about these two teams, I look at Northern Illinois, especially, and every single one of their six conference wins has been by one possession. Um, it's beautiful, they, isn't it? Yeah, honestly, they are not playing good football right now. They've kind of fallen back, fallen backwards into uh, the MAC championship game here. Last week, they lost to Western Michigan, forty-two to twenty-one. Yet they are still uh, playing for a MAC championship. So the logic would tell me that Northern Illinois is not a good football team. They lost in the previous matchup to Kent State, which, by the way, those two teams scored 99 points in that game, so definitely take the over. Uh, So all the logic is telling me, not Northern Illinois, but this is the MAC that we are talking about. And when you talk about MAC football, you take everything your brain tells you to do and you do the opposite. So I think that Northern Illinois, even though I don't think they're a better football team, they're going to win the game. And most importantly, they're going to cover this three-point spread that Kent State has. Northern Illinois, that, that's it for me. I, I don't really need to kind of elaborate upon you guys. So I said all the kind of the bigger points in terms of offense in this game. Um, give me the better offense. Give me 
the Husky, I guess. Um, Tony Romo, he's he's going to be invested in this game. So I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just Eastern Illinois. Eastern Illinois. I'm sorry, my bad. This is uh, Northern Illinois. Uh, who was the quarterback that they had that was really good for like two years? Did uh, they have Jimmy Garoppolo? Nope. Also Eastern Illinois. Eastern Illinois, killing me with these UBU. <laughs> well, I've got my my uh, directional Illinois schools off. I'm I'm more of an expert in directional Michigan schools. That, that that's my expertise. Um, Illinois, not necessarily known for its directional schools, other than the Salukis down south in southern Illinois. But um, still, that doesn't deter me. I'm still taking uh, Northern Illinois in this game, based upon. Uh, kind of the narrow spread and the fact that I just believe that they have a, a better offense. So uh, the quarterback I'm thinking of is Jordan Lynch. Yeah. Great, great quarterback from action. I mean, if you, if you know, Jordan Lynch, you know, Jordan Lynch, he was, he's Tim Tebow. He, he's Tim I mean, Tebow. You're a Browns fan. You're a Browns fan. So chances are a lot of these people might have played for the Browns at one point in their life. So if you can speak eloquently, like like Irby mentioned Brandon Whedon earlier, I don't know if that triggered you at all. As Did a little bit. Fan there, Sam. Did yeah, a little, little bit. bit. Um, but we'll, yeah, draft a 28-year-old quarterback. That's a great um, idea. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Cleveland Browns, great and potential Hall of Famer, one of the best special team players of all time, Josh Cribbs, Kent State guy. Uh, shout out to Josh Cribbs. All right, we will move on to just a beautiful, beautiful game. Utah State plus five against San Diego State for the Mountain West Football Championship. Real football is played out there in the mountains. This game will be at three o'clock on Fox. The over-under is an even 50 points. This game will be played in Carson, California, just outside of L.A. Uh, These are two teams that have had phenomenal seasons. Utah State, they won two games last year, and now they're in a conference title game. Blake Anderson, who's a guy that I... Really thought Virginia Tech could have taken a look at. Good coach. He will be in conversation for bigger jobs very soon, especially jobs in the Southeast. I I really like Utah State. I love their offense, but San Diego State has just been one of the nastiest defenses in the entire country. And a name that we aren't talking about is Mountain West Conference Coach of the Year, Brady Hoke. Incredible what he has Red done Flintstone himself. I mean, there, if you're going by simple points per game, 17.3 points per game allowed for San Diego state, that's ninth in the nation. They average three sacks per game and they have a turnover margin of plus 10. That's tied for ninth in the nation as well. I just think what San Diego state can do with good special teams with the punt God, Matt Ariza, who every punt he has goes for over 50 yards. You need to tune in to watch him. That is who I thought you were going to say instead of Brady Hope, because this is matter. This should become a Matariza fan podcast. He is the punt guy. You cannot, he is like special teams Thanos, and you just have no chance of being able to overcome where he positioned. He tells you where to stand on the field. He realistically he is inevitable. He realistically could be drafted fourth, fifth round, maybe even higher. I mean, because the, the way that he can flip a field is abnormal. I don't, I, we've never seen a, a punter kick, like do what he's doing for San Diego State. And it's a huge part of their game because their defense is so good. 
yeah, their offense is lackluster, but their defense is so good. If you win the field position game, they're going to dominate every team. I like the Aztecs in this one. They're playing kind of at home, not really at home. Um, they're actually, it's probably like four hour drive from San Diego to Carson, California, but uh, I like San Diego state in this one. I think the more complete team, better defensive team. Uh, give me the Aztecs minus five. Yeah, I'm on San Diego state as well. Uh, I'll be short. I got a, got a friend back in Virginia who is a San Diego state alum. Shout out Neil, uh, big Aztec fan. And like Sam said, they're also the more complete team. So go Aztecs. Um, I'm on the Aztecs as well, 100% because of the punt God. Um, and so this led me to go down the rabbit hole of, uh, best punters of all time. Um, obviously in the NFL, uh, you have Ray guy, he's considered to be the best of all time. It's not even considered. He is kind of just nationally known as the best punter of all time, but and hear me out on this one. What has not come up in college football in terms of a dominant player worthy of the Heisman. Could this be the year that a punter gets the Heisman trophy winner? No, no, it's not going to happen. I'm just saying, but, um, I did look up. He punts from his own end zone and, and gets it down at the, at the opponent's one yard line. And that's his Heisman moment. Absolutely. I don't know. For for me, it was just kind of trying to latch on to any angle I could find about what is the ceiling of the punt god. And ultimately, I looked at what will his draft selection be? Because the number one drafted punter of all time, Brian Anger, uh, was selected in the third round, 70th overall in 2012 uh, NFL draft. And it was just going to be more of a discussion, kind of a quick question over under. With this gentleman, Manareza, coming out of San Diego State, will he be drafted higher than 70th overall as the highest drafted punter of all time? Yes. I think because if you're an owner... It's 70 is really high, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's ridiculously high. ridiculously high. But I'm saying if you're an owner, you're getting a guy who probably not going to get injured. He's probably going to kick for you for 16, 17, 18 years. You don't have to pay him a lot. And he is a game changer. He, he does. He's so good at his job. He's a game changer. Yeah. Why not? It's kind he's of a not, retroactive. He's got an one. early third rounder though. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of those things where you look at the value of special teams. And to me, that's what this game is all about. It's the value of special teams. I know that I am getting a team that's going to position the opposite team to the wrong side of the field nine times out of 10. And the ability for Utah State to be able to drive the length of the field continually over and over and over again to be able to outscore San Diego State to me is the difference in this football game. And that's why I took San Diego State. Um, it, it's, it, it was in that Vegas zone, that five-point spread. I didn't necessarily have a good uh, feeling about how – San Diego State would be able to score. So in a lot of these non-familiar type games, I'm taking the known commodity. To me, that is the difference-making type person. Is If you have somebody who's that elite uh, giving you uh, just the game-changing field position battle every single time, 
laying the points. I'm taking San Diego State minus five. Well, we just talked about the conference that is very near and dear to my heart. So, Chris, let's talk about the conference that is very near and dear to your heart. Yes, I'm talking about the Sun Belt Conference. And this one, two really proud programs. One program with a little bit more stability right now as Billy Napier, the head coach for Louisiana, has left to go to the University of Florida. (laughs) And Appalachian State, I think solely because of that, is two and a half point favorites on the road on Cajun Field in Lafayette, Louisiana. This game will be at 3.30 on ESPN. The over-under is 53. Chris, we'll let you start with this one as the pseudo-commissioner of the Sun Belt. You're getting zero analysis on this one. It's Appalachian State. That's the only right answer. Really? It is who I chose at the beginning of the season to win the Sun Belt Conference. And my number one prediction for this game matchup was, I 100% believe, if you, if you go back in time to that podcast that we discussed about this, Billy Napier was going to be floated in every single coaching conversation carousel from November onward. And this was a distraction type game. And sure enough, here we are. Billy Napier got poached during the week they're leading into conference championship week. And how invested is he really? He wants to coach in this game, but That would be a little bit different. I know he's a competitive person, and I do know that he requested to Florida to be able to coach in this game as part of this kind of exit strategy out of Louisiana Lafayette. But Florida needs to recover their recruiting class. Well, who's recruiting for Florida right now? It's Billy Napier. You know, it's not like he's just neglecting that entire new function he's having as the new head coach at the University of Florida. He's got some pretty lofty expectations built upon himself to be able to go into that job. Um, so I just don't think the distraction of him leaving town is enough at this point that they're going to be able to overcome Appalachian State. I do know that they beat Appalachian State early on in the year, uh, but App State's motivated. Um, I love Sean Clark. I do feel like he is going to be probably in this same situation next year as Bill Napier was last year, where App State coaches were constantly getting poached there for probably about every two years. Um, well, that's going to be for him next year, but uh Give me the Mountaineers. I, I I can't run to this spread fast enough. This is my lock of the week, um, and not because I predicted it, and not because I predicted this specific matchup in this exact specific context. Uh, because I am a, a Sun Belt nerd and and probably too much of an obsessive type person, but um, I love everything about this matchup in this game. So give me the Mountaineers. I'm gonna disagree. Uh... I like Louisiana here. I think I think that if you listen to Napier and kind of read about um, what appears to be his approach in all of this is that he does seem to have some sort of investment into uh, Louisiana as a university and the community and that sort of thing. Um, and though he has chosen to leave, I, he seems like the kind of guy that would want to finish what he started. More importantly, though, they're playing this game at home. They are the better football team. And they are being given two and a half points. Um, I understand the coaching uncertainty, but I think that if Napier is still there, I mean, I, I think that it it makes a little too much sense, I think, uh, to pick them. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to take them in the points. Um, even if they don't win outright, I mean, you're still getting points for a ranked Sun Belt team, yeah. which those things are pretty rare. So, Yeah, I... 
This was a really tough one because I see both sides of the story. I see App State coming back for revenge. They've been playing really good football, especially defensively. And Louisiana just heard that their coach is leaving. App State goes in there, wins that game. I see that. But I also see the fact that Louisiana knew that he was going to leave at the end of this year, probably. If not last year, then this year. They knew that was going to happen. That's not some bombshell secret. They're playing at home. They're the better team. Oh, yeah, and they beat Appalachian State 41-13 when these teams played. It was not a close football game. Louisiana whooped them, absolutely whooped them. They made Chase Bryce look like uh, Chase Bryce. I I have a hard time betting on Chase Bryce on the road against Louisiana and a good defense. I think this will be a really low-scoring game, though. I think you could see something... 26 20, 24 21, something like that. Give me the Raging Cajuns at home. If this game was being played on a neutral site, I'd hammer Appalachian State. I would hammer them. But I think the fact that it's being played at Cajun Field, give me the Raging Cajuns. All right, we'll move on to probably what could annually be the biggest game of the year the SEC championship game on CBS. At four o'clock in Atlanta, Georgia, six point favorites against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Guys, uh, this is probably the most important game of the year. And Georgia is only getting six point favorites, which is really surprising for a team that has been in the 30s all year long. And the only game that has been within the realm of possibility of Georgia losing was the first game against Clemson when they won 10 to three. Robert, we'll start with you. Just talk about this one, because I think this is a really tough game to pick with a six point spread, because I feel terrible even thinking about not taking Alabama plus six in any scenario ever. Yeah. I mean, it is hard to, to want to bet against Nick Saban, right? But I think now's the time. I mean, Alabama's not perfect. Nick Saban's not perfect. Um, and I think Georgia, right now, we may be looking at one of the best defenses in college football history. Um, statistically, they're they're hitting every statistic out of the park. Um, I, I It's, you know, there's like a, a select few defenses, like... You know, I, I, I believe 2011 Alabama was the one that was super nasty. And I mean, among all of their other nasty defenses, but regardless, Georgia is a ridiculously good defense. Um, Alabama's offense has been, we'll call it inconsistent. Um, 24 points in a, you know, four overtime game with Auburn isn't great. Um, 20 points against LSU a few weeks back was, that's terrible. Um, they don't really run the ball well. Robinson is a decent running back, but just doesn't quite have the same burst as other guys that they've had. Um, I think Georgia wins this game going away. Alabama's also had some problems defensively. I think Alabama is still a very good football team. They have lots of talent, but I don't really think that they are up to up to the challenge here. We'll say, I think giving Georgia... Having Georgia only be down six points here, like Georgia's going to win this by multiple touchdowns. So 
I feel pretty confident in picking Georgia, even even though there's the whole Saban effect. I think Kirby Smart finally gets the monkey off his back. And if he doesn't, if they don't beat Alabama this year, they never will. Nope, never. They never will. And I'll I'll tell you another thing with this game that is kind of shocking to me. If you look at Pick Center from ESPN, they do show you the amount of money that is put on to each team. At Georgia minus six and a half. So with another half point, 82% of the money is on Georgia. That is astronomical. That makes me very nervous as well. But Robert, I agree with you. What Georgia is doing is unprecedented against top competition. They've just dominated everybody. They've played no team has been able to score three touchdowns against them. They're going to score more than three touchdowns on Alabama's defense, who is a very good defense, but not not to the elite, elite level that we are used to with Nick Saban. And again, Alabama can't control the clock. They can't run the ball. I don't really know. I I don't see the path to victory for Alabama in this one. Uh, just quick thing about how dominant Georgia has been. They're number one in net points per drive. They're getting 2.6 points per drive. That is astronomical. They are, and they're doing it offensively as well. They're averaging 3.57 points per offensive drive. That's that's really, really good, especially for a program that's not known as an offensive program. Going back to kind of what's the game within the game in this matchup, I think it is on the play-calling tendencies of Bill O'Brien at Alabama versus what Georgia likes to do defensively. Georgia... To put in perspective, Georgia as a football team, they run the ball on first and second down 61.4% of the time. That's one of the tops in the nation. That's mostly because they're beating Kings by 45 points. Alabama, on the other hand, they only run the ball on first and or second down 43.8% of the time. That's a very, very low percentage. To me, when you're going up against one of the best passing off passing defenses in the nation that likes to cause a lot of havoc and is going to cause throwaways, overthrows, things of that nature, that sets up for you to have a lot of third and longs. And for the life of me, I would not want to have a third and long against this Georgia defense. Uh, Alabama has succeeded on third down a lot this year, and it has bailed them out of a lot of bad plays on first and second down. They're the 11th best third and fourth down def- offense in the country. I think that style of play calling is not what it takes to beat this Georgia team. I think if you try to open it up too much, you're going to lose control of the game too quickly. Georgia is going to know that you're going to want to pass, and they're just going to dominate this game from start to finish. I like Georgia minus six. It feels wrong. It, it feels wrong, but... I think we might be seeing something historically special with this Georgia team. Georgia, by more than two touchdowns, mortal lock. Wow. That's where I'm going with this one. Love it. it all, Do they end Nick Saban? They don't end it's, it's, Nick Saban. No. But they end Nick Saban Nick will be Saban. back next Is year. Is this It'll the be Death Star <laughs> blowing up? Stop it. Definitely Everyone not. says that every year. And then they just build another one. Like you just put this on, and the then they build a planet of, that's a Death Star. It's it all boils down to me to precedent. 
And everybody only really looks at the past 10 years of how good this defense is. I'm looking at it in terms of how good this defense is in the context of the entire kind of modern history of college football. I'm talking about games played back and forth to seventies. Cause even prior to that, um, you kind of get lost in a little bit of the defensive stats, but I brought this up in our week six locks podcast, but now that we have a full season of knowing what Georgia is comparatively to some of these kind of uh, 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 more known defenses that were the best in all time in college football. So everybody always remembers the 2011 Alabama defense. Uh, people often forget the 2001 Miami defense. It was absolutely elite. The 1987 Miami defense, the 1997 Michigan defense that featured a little known Heisman candidate by the name of Desmond Howard. Um, there were, um, I'm sorry, not Desmond, Charles Woodson. Sorry, excuse me. Um, there have been some pretty prolific defenses over the year, but they have a commonality to them. And that is where they average in points allowed, where they average in yards allowed, how many shutouts they have averaged and whether or not they had any losses on their record and whether or not they won a national title. So let's look at the points allowed because uh, that's the easiest one to get off there uh, to kind of understand. And that is Georgia right now at 6.9 points allowed over the course of a season in a dynamic in the SEC where offenses have been king over the last few seasons, 6.9 points would rank them second all time comparatively to the 1979 Alabama football team that went 12 and 0 and had uh, 5.6 points total scored against them average per game uh, during that season. If you look at shutouts, they've had three, the average of all of the top 10 defenses of all time uh, have averaged 2.4 shutouts in a given season. So the fact that they've already eclipsed that at three, uh, I don't think they're going to shut out Alabama, but the fact that they've had three puts them in that stratosphere of elite level performances against other elite level performance, uh, excuse me, performing defenses. Um, And then you look at yards allowed. They're at, what is it? 229 uh, yards allowed. Uh, per game. And this is in the era of very modern spread offenses and league that values now offensive football, probably more than defensive football. Um, This puts them, I think, fifth all time in those top 10 type defenses. And then you look at, of all of those teams, what their final record was, it was 110 to one in terms of their final overall wins and losses. The one loss was that Alabama game to LSU back in 2011 in what was probably the ugliest football game I've ever watched in my entire life. I think his final score was nine to six or something like that. Chris, Um, don't talk bad about the game of the century part one. (laughs) All I'm saying is that Georgia is historically elite. And it feels weird because even in this season where they are standing out head and shoulders above all of their varying levels of competition, they're still not talked about enough because they haven't won at all. That changes this year. I think that they handedly beat Alabama this weekend. They go into the college football playoff and they handedly beat whoever they're going against for the next two games beyond that. 
However special 2019 was for LSU on offense, it's being played out the exact same way that we're watching on defense, but because everybody loves offense and they don't care about defense as much in, in terms of just how uh, quote unquote sexy it is to watch these types of football games, they're not getting enough notoriety, but we are watching the, the exact opposite of the 2019 LSU run right now with the Georgia defense and it's special and I'm enjoying every single minute of it. They it cover is special. It, it is, but I think one other thing is the SEC East has been a, a bit down this year, and I think that's part of the reason why nationally it's not talked about because their games, no one has thought outside of the Clemson game, no one has thought, oh, maybe Georgia loses this game. They haven't thought that at all. Florida's down, Tennessee's down, South Carolina's down, Kentucky's not. I mean, those aren't good teams. Missouri, not a good team. Like they haven't really been challenged yet, and I think for me. That's that kind of scares me about this game. I know how good they are, but I think in terms of national perception, they haven't been quote challenged yet by one of these top teams. Like we usually see SEC teams challenged. Challenged is one way of putting it, but how they perform against that challenging quote unquote or non-challenging slate is another important factor. In Georgia is the number one team far and away in SRS metric. They're not only beating teams, they're beating them badly like they should. Mm -hmm. And we just don't value that because it's being done because of their defense. If they were scoring these games 65 to 20 like LSU was, we would just have no other thought to it that they were just going to win the game. But the fact that they're just holding teams to less than 20 points a game is incredible, in my opinion. And many of those opponents, less than 10 a game, and some of them to zero, is, six, is, is six unheard of unheard of in modern offense of football to be able to do that. 6.9 points per game allowed. Nice. nice. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's stupid. That's video game numbers. Well, I think it was interesting that you talked about they're beating teams handily. That's something that the next team that we're going to talk about maybe hasn't done to the extent that they should have this year. Going to the American Conference, Cincinnati is 10.5-point favorites at home at Nippert Stadium in Cincinnati against the best team that they have played all year outside of Notre Dame, the Houston Cougars. This game will be at 4 o'clock on ABC. The over-under is 53.5. Irby, you and I and a few other people on this podcast are very, very very invested in this game. The college football playoff rankings for this week just came out and Cincinnati remains at the fourth spot. They dominated SMU when they played. They handled a, a good East Carolina team on the road. I feel pretty confident that Cincinnati is going to win this game by a lot. And I'm going to go back to my old adage, Southern Texas players going up to play in Cincinnati outdoors in December, not a shot, not a shot. Cincinnati, I think matches them mano a mano with skill athletes and the size and just brute force that Cincinnati can impose not only in the front seven, but at the skill positions, I think is really, really impressive. I like the Bearcats to win this one by two touchdowns, maybe three. Yeah, I think, I think we would all agree uh, that Cincinnati is far and away the more talented football team. Um, I mean, they've got legitimate NFL talent on their team and there's really not any denying that. Um, 
but as they've kind of had these, you know, so-so performances, one thing I want to point out is that those are usually against, you know, the South Floridas of the world and the, the two lanes of the world. They, they have tended to not play well against some inferior opponents where they can kind of just put it in cruise control. But when it comes to playing ranked opponents and Houston is ranked number 16 in the most recent college football playoff poll. Um, when it comes to these big games, these ranked teams since uh, last season. So since, since, since Cincinnati, uh, since Cincinnati started this kind of run of terror where, um, you know, they've been a real playoff contender, perfect regular seasons, that sort of thing. Um, so starting last year, they played five games against ranked opponents or opponents that were ranked at the time. Uh, they are four and one in those games, four and one. And they're also four and one against the spread in those games. Um, this is just when the Cincinnati Bearcats are their best. Even their one loss was in their bowl game last year when they lost to Georgia by three points. And the one game that they did not cover the spread was when they beat Tulsa in the American Championship last year. That was a 13 and a half point spread. They only won by three. However, COVID-19 did its thing. That was Cincinnati's first game in a month. So, of course, they play bad. They don't have these circumstances now. Um, I think that this is... I, you can't make it this far and then lay an egg. You just can't. I mean, with all the hype that they've gotten... They definitely the can. Praise, I mean, they can, <laughs> but like... It would, just, it would just it would just not can. sit right. It just would not sit right with all that is good in the world if Cincinnati <laughs> just blows it here. And I guess it's possible, but I don't I don't think it happens. I think that they win this game. They're a vastly superior team. So I think they win by three touchdowns or so. Yep. I agree. I'm not gonna go too much into detail there because I think everybody hit the nail on the head. I just don't think that it was a Dana Holgerson led football team is going to be able to travel up north into the cold weather conditions and beat Cincinnati in what I believe is a very, very And I've been a person that's been skeptical on Cincinnati all season long, as you know, I've been picking against them in every single spread. And what I've known is that uh, Cincinnati beats Texas football teams. They just do. And, and, and I'm not going to bet against that anymore, even if it is 10 and a half points in this game. I think this is one where Luke Fick, which is kind of finally puts his final stamp in securing Cincinnati's spot in the college football playoff, which would, I, I don't know, would begin the end of days apparently for the college football narrative. But um, I just do not believe that they're capable of going up north and being able to keep this game close based upon all of the talent that's on Cincinnati's side of the field and just the senior kind of laden football roster that is with Cincinnati right now. It's, it's just everything is being. I don't know in this, in this case, everything is being kind of, we need to stop them at all costs from being able to get into the college football playoff and the hope of everybody who is kind of a blue blood or in some of these major conferences is the Houston Cougars football team. I think they should probably should have manifested into something a little bit more capable of going up there and doing it. So um, uh, give me, give me Cincinnati, give me this one easy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put my, Bad juju of putting this one in a mortal lock, but I do want to very badly because uh, I, I do think that they're going to be able to put Houston away pretty pretty easily. So, 
The sun will set an hour after kickoff and the low for that night will be about low 30s. Just real quick, because this one is being played in Cincinnati, and I have some beef with conference championships being played in home stadiums. Mm-hmm. As a as a Sun Belt aficionado, the fact that it's played in the in the the home stadium and not in the Mercedes Benz uh, Dome in New Orleans is is a, is a tragedy. But where should the AAC game be played? Because it's all over the place, and I have well, no they, idea they, where they it don't really be go to the West Coast. Um, I would say somewhere like Nashville would be cool. I think that's a destination city that you could get people to travel to. That's pretty central for all those schools. I'm going to say Nashville. Nashville is actually a phenomenal choice. I love Nashville. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and get that going. So whoever wants to in this podcast, take the helm of the AAC aficionado type status, the czar type status of the AAC. Granted, you're losing uh, three marquee programs and you're not necessarily gaining good ones behind them, but let's make Nash say, Vegas pretty low stock. Let's double it down. pretty low on that <laughs> I position. Am, I am going to say with the Mountain West, I think the reason they did it is because you could get a scenario where they're playing in Laramie, Wyoming in early December and it's like 10 degrees outside with three feet of snow. I just think that would be beautiful, but um, nope, cars in California this year. All right, let's move on. This game will be indoors in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium. The Big Ten title game, Michigan is minus 10.5 against Iowa. Michigan, the new number two team in the country. This game will be at 8 p.m. on Fox. The over-under is a super low, 43.5. Guys, I'll go with this one. Um, I think Michigan by... 30 20 between 28 and between 28 and 35. I think Michigan wins this game. Um, I would hammer the over. I think Iowa is a fraudulent football team. They should have lost to Nebraska. They should have lost a few more. They're a team that all they get is turnovers without turnovers. This is not a very good team. They haven't shown the ability to really put together 60 minutes of good football against good teams. I love Michigan in this one. I think Michigan is, they're for real. They're for real. The Ohio State game wasn't a fluke. They're a really darn good football team that can run the ball. Their defensive line is terrifying. They have an NFL defensive line. Georgia and Michigan are NFL defensive lines. Wolverines by a boatload. This is my lock of the week. That's a pretty good lock, man. That's that's pretty good. I mean, there's not much else to say. Iowa stinks. They don't like they don't even deserve to be in the title game. They're only in this game because Wisconsin choked last week of the year. I mean, they've they've won some ugly games. Also, does anyone even know who's going to play quarterback for Iowa? Because both Spencer Petrus and Alex Padilla played last week and they've been basically taking turns all year. So do they even know who's playing quarterback? Cause I certainly don't. It'll be, it'll be Petrus. I think um, he's the guy that they've gone with in big games. So I think it'll be him, but they, they have issues offensively. They really yeah. do. They can't even run the, consistently. No. And the fact that I'm asking this question, I think kind of tells you all you need to know. 
uh, especially with, like you mentioned, that pass rush. They are just brutal. Aiden Hutchinson has played his way into possibly being the number one pick in the draft. Um, I mean, what whatever quarterback it is has to be having no sleep right now, just having nightmares about what's going to happen to him on Saturday. I think Michigan now is it would it be like Michigan to get into this position and choke a hundred percent, but I think they got lucky with this. I just, they're not playing a good football team and they're going to win pretty handily. I agree. And I've been saying it all season long, Michigan is the second best football team in the country. And I don't think it's particularly close. Uh, This is, and I said it last week, even though I got some some sauce kind of pushback amongst the locks uh, slack that Michigan was my mortal lock of the week to not only cover last week's spread, but win outright. Because I just believe that they, what happened in 2016 for Notre Dame when, when Harbaugh essentially kind of went through the same process that Kelly went through in terms of, hey, what we're doing here is not necessarily working at an elite level. I need to kind of retool my staff and kind of figure out what we need to be. And he did it. He made the right hires. And all of a sudden now Michigan, who has been recruiting at a pretty elite level over the last, uh, oh, excuse me, over the entire course of of Harbaugh's tenure, was finally able to structure a team that kind of resembled those late Stanford-type teams in terms of just being really dominant, but now with much better athletes. And that's kind of what we're looking at right now with this Michigan football team. Um, Michigan, if you looked at him at the beginning of the season, you would have thought there's no chance that they even have a, a shot at beating Ohio State. And then you looked at just how they were beating teams. They led the field, I think, up until Georgia, I think around like mid-year in terms of SRS rating. So they were actually beating teams worse and Georgia was beating teams until Georgia finally kind of passed them kind of mid-season onward. But Michigan has continued to do so uh, throughout the rest of the season. Granted, they're not undefeated like Georgia is, but same. Yeah, you know, Michigan's win total for this year was seven and a half. Yes, it was seven insane. And a half. They were the, the most undervalued team. And granted, I needed to see it a little bit over the first month or so to kind of understand kind of what type of program they were going to be. And once I understood what they were, which was they are now elite 2011 Stanford. And that's kind of the, our 2010, 2011 Stanford. And then a kind of a light bulb clicked. Oh, this is a team that is custom built to win college football games by a lot of points, especially in their conference. Um, Iowa doesn't stand a chance in this game. They don't have any of the personnel on either side of the football to match up both from a coaching and player perspective. This is a business transaction for the Big Ten championship game. I do think that Michigan wins this game uh, outright by three scores. Um, and ultimately, when I look at kind of where the line is at Michigan minus 10 and a half, and then I look at our old friend Sharp College Football for a large disparity, Sharp College Football has this game as Michigan on a neutral site by 21 points. So that is a 10-point even difference from what is already considered to be, by many people, a generous Michigan line. Um, and just last but not least, just look at the spread versus the actual total. This, to me, tells me the Vegas does not think I was going to score one damn point in this game. And the fact that it's 43.5 total in Michigan's favor by double digits just tells you that Iowa, what are they? What are they going to do in this game? 
I don't think it's going to be much of anything. Uh, the Big Ten football uh, championship game would probably be more entertaining if this was a Michigan spring game, to be honest. So uh, give me Michigan, give me a, a give me them by a lot. This is a lock. This is a more lock. And I, I don't even feel weird about saying that out loud. Well, we will go from one game that might not have a ton of points scored in it to a game that should have a boatload of points scored in it. This is the final game of the night and is the ACC championship game at eight o'clock on ABC over under is 72 and a half for the Pittsburgh Panthers who are three point favorites against the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. I'll start with this one. I'm going to be pretty simple. I don't think you have to look at numbers a lot. Wake Forest has struggled against physical football teams, against teams that have the size and speed to challenge their X's and O's. Um, I think Pittsburgh is a really bad matchup for Wake Forest. I think that defense is going to control that mesh read option, much like Clemson's did. Um, and look, Wake Forest is going to be able to score some points. Pittsburgh's going to be okay with that. I think Pittsburgh's really comfortable playing in a shootout style. I I like the Panthers. I said this a couple weeks ago. It feels awful as a Virginia Tech fan saying this. Pittsburgh is a very deserving ACC champion this year. They've been the best team in the conference, and I think they will do really well in whatever bowl matchup they get. Most likely will be the Peach Bowl. I, I just think Pittsburgh's a really darn good football team this year, and I'm done doubting them. I'm done doubting Kenny Pickett. Uh, what they have done this year has been phenomenal. And uh, Wake Forest, I Wake, it's going to be a game. It's going to be an entertaining game to watch. It's not going to be a blowout, but I think Pittsburgh minus three is a pretty safe bet in this one. Yeah, I go back and forth on this one. I mean, I think if you look at the stats, these are two pretty evenly matched football teams kind of on both sides. Both of them are not the best at playing defense, but they are really good at playing offense. Uh, Sam Hartman, Kenny Pickett, they're having two of the best seasons that any ACC quarterback has ever had. Um, and it's kind of getting lost in a sea of just all of these great games, honest, or great seasons that these quarterbacks are having. Um, but I think I agree with you, Sam. I'm I'm with you on Pitt here, even though they're, they're the favorite and... I don't know. Sorry. I'm just going back and forth, but I think it's Pittsburgh. I think you talked about that physicality, that athleticism um, that Pittsburgh has is they're a lot more athletic than most other defenses are in the ACC. Um, I think that they do have NFL players on their roster. They have been the most consistently great team in the ACC. And I also think that Sam Hartman, Sam Hartman, Sam Hartman is kind of folding down the stretch a little bit. You know, he's, he's still good. Um, but in his last four games of the year, he has seven interceptions. That's not great, Bob. And so I think that he, he's kind of out of rhythm a little bit. And I think that that's just going to be just enough. Um, cause both of these teams are going to score a lot. I don't even know what the over under is, but I'm just going to tell you to take the over anyway, 72 and a half. Yeah, definitely take the over. Uh, that is laughable. So, yeah, I think Pitt wins this game by about a touchdown, and it's due to maybe a late mistake by Sam Hartman. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm backing a Dave Clawson-led football team uh, in, in a championship moment comparatively. And my main reason is because the opposite coach 
On the other side of the football field is Pat Narduzzi. And I just feel like there is some, some DNA baked into this game as much as there is just the football kind of X's and O's and scheme because I do feel like these teams um, on the offensive side are at least somewhat mirror images. And I think people are probably latching on uh, to defensive side in terms of Pitt being a little bit better of a football team on the defensive side than actually not probably not a little bit um, in terms of overall scoring defense uh, than Wake Forest. But graded out wise on PFF, if you look at them across the board, these two teams are mirror images of themselves. Um, so what am I looking at in this game in terms of value? I'm looking at what I believe to be the slightly better overall offensive team. I do think that that is the specialty of Dave Clawson and Wake Forest. Uh, the fact that this game is, it, it's being played in Charlotte, correct? So this is somewhat of a pseudo kind of home field advantage for them. It's, it's neither be, Well, they don't have a home field in there. Yeah. It's going to be. It's in Charlotte. don't have to travel. But they don't have a home field advantage when they play at home. So. Yeah. They, they, the fact that they just don't even have to travel that much, I think that is somewhat of a, somewhat of an advantage. Um, uh like I said, we're, we're splitting hairs. We're, we're, we're picking Pitt and Wake Forest in the ACC championship game here. So what are we really arguing about? So to me, I'm just going to pick the overall better performing offense over the course of the season. To me, that is Wake Forest. As much as I hate to say it, um, I just don't feel like uh, a Pat Narduzzi-led football team is going to be able to have the kind of consistency over the course of an entire football game to be able to outduel Wake Forest in their offense in this game with such a narrow spread. I don't feel like I'm getting more or less value in either side. It's a field goal game with Pitt being favored. Um, so to me, this is picking a winner. I, I think that winner is going to be Wake Forest on the money line pretty much outright. I don't, this is a thing where you're going to pick a spread for someone to cover. And this is a coin flip game. It might be 51% Wake Forest, uh, but that's the way I'm picking it too. So it, it, in that narrow that narrow sliver of the difference between these two teams, uh, just give me the team that I think is just going to win outright. So It'll be a good one. And a lot of, I mean, it'll be a really good Friday night and Saturday of football, a lot of good matchups. And I think it's good for the sport that we don't know a lot of the college football playoff right now outside of Georgia. Georgia is in no matter what, but man, big games left. Uh, big Cincinnati fans on this podcast, that's for sure. And article will be up with all of our picks. We'll have all 10 picks on a graphic that will be on Twitter at Locks of Saturday on Twitter. It'll also be on the website, sonsofsaturday.com. Fellas, have a weekend. Enjoy it. Kick back, crack open a beer, and enjoy some great football. Send us your picks on Twitter. Again, we are at Locks of Saturday. We will see you next week. Welcome to Blacksburg, Brent Pry, and go Hokies. Oh, no,